This is Daniel Figel, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. In this episode, we're focusing on the pharma industry, and we're focusing on a unique element of pharma that is the commercial side. So we have all the activities we need to do to develop drugs and push them through clinical trials. And then, of course, we need to actually get them to patients. We need to sell them to our customers. And there's a lot of activity there as well, but it's less talked about when it comes to the intersection with artificial intelligence. Our guest this week is David Ehrlich. He's the CEO of Octana. Octana is focused on helping sales and marketing leaders go to market with their products. And there's three topics that we cover in this episode. The first is the business challenges of taking a drug to market. What do sales, marketing, and product folks have to deal with? What are the complexities that they're buried in? Many of these are going to mesh with some of you in other industries. If you're listening in and you're in banking or you're in retail, I'm sure some of these communication challenges and branding challenges are going to be things you'll resonate with as well. But David goes deep on exactly what this looks like in pharma. Secondly, we talk about where data and AI can fit into that mix to add value. Again, this is a unique use case, very different from a lot of the back-end drug development topics that we've covered over the years here on the AI and Business Podcast. So David explains where data and AI fit in to drive the sales and marketing metrics up for pharma firms. And lastly, he shares some insights on AI adoption. I asked David directly what it takes for folks on the commercial side of a life sciences business to prepare for and adopt AI in a way that gives them the highest likelihood of success. And he shares some of his insights and common pitfalls and things that they've done well. So I hope that you find those insights to be transferable to your sector as well. This interview is brought to you by Octana. For more information about reaching Emerge's global audience, stay tuned to the outro of this episode. But without further ado, let's fly right in. This is David Ehrlich with Octana. They're on the AI and Business Podcast. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you with us. We talk a lot about AI in the domain of pharma, but not so much in commercial. And this is sort of where you guys play. Some of our listeners are very much in your industry. Some aren't. Maybe we could kind of define commercial and what, what workflows exist under there and then head right into the particular workflows that you guys operate in that AI might help with. But if we could start with the definition, I think that'd be helpful. Sure. So, I mean, the way to think about most life science companies is there is a research and development side of the company that figures out what kinds of products the market would want that's consistent with the kind of impact that they want to have in the world. They go and attempt to build those products and develop them and release them to market. So the way to think about commercial, Dan, is every big life science company is going to have two sides to them. The first side is around research, development, manufacturing, it's around figuring out what drug or what product the market needs that's consistent with the kind of impact they want to have in the world. They go, they build that product, they invent the product, they invent the medicine, they do all the development, they get it approved by the FDA, and then they hand it over to the commercial side of the business. The commercial side of the business is really around how do we market this new brand, this new treatment for a certain disease how do how do we explain to the world that we have this now what it does how it operates then there's distribution and there's sales and there's fulfillment so it's everything around that side of the business got it included does fulfillment get bundled under commercial in theory here okay okay got it got it i was unaware so i know the sales and marketing side but wasn't quite certain if 
fulfillment sort of had its own bucket. Yeah, you can basically think of it as building and getting a product approved and yeah, and everything else. Everything else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. So this is selling it, etc. Yeah. Supporting okay. it, servicing it. Yeah. So so this is this is commercial in a nutshell. Now you folks have sort of places in commercial where you've started to find some value for artificial intelligence. Talk to us about the workflows in AI kind of as, or the, the workflows on commercial and sort of how they operate today. And then we can talk a little bit about where data and AI are fitting in to add some value. Okay. So the area that we have focused on is the marketing and sales area, yep. as well as medical affairs. Medical affairs, a lot of people don't know. It, it's really around medical education and serving doctors with more detailed data and knowledge about a medication itself. And those folks tend to be doctors. They tend to be higher skilled. They're much more expensive people and there's far fewer of them, but they do occupy a part in the commercial landscape. Although technically they're supposed to not be commercial. They're not supposed to be oriented around getting a a medication sold. They're oriented around education. Those guys, as well as the traditional field salespeople and then all the digital marketing, whether it's advertising on TV, whether it's advertising in social media for doctors or placing an ad in an electronic healthcare record that's relevant to what that patient is experiencing. Those are the folks that we work with because they're really responsible for speaking to the health practitioner population in the world, speaking to them, educating them, assisting them, et cetera. Historically, those three groups, those three parts of the organization, marketing, sales, and medical affairs, have operated very, very distinctly. Medical affairs operates distinctly because of regulatory concerns. Sales and marketing operate distinctly. Well, their jobs are just very, very different. And the way most life science is organized, The sales folks tend to be managed by a commercial operations function, and all of the digital go-to-market tends to be managed by the marketing team with the assistance of an agency. And those two groups may come together once or twice a year where the brand team and the agency would say to commercial ops, this is what we want to accomplish through the field organization. And the field commercial ops would then go train the field organization but that's once or twice a year. And there's not a lot of interaction between the two throughout the year. Low volume touch points here. Yeah. And so that's the world that we're going into. Now our vision, and it's a very AI embedded vision, was really around, well, if you think about healthcare and you think about where money is spent right now, for all of these very large life science companies, they're spending about half of all their money on the go-to-market, not on the R&D. Huh, it's funny because the, the AI spend is obviously very, very heavily weighted on the R&D side right now. It is. Yeah. But you look at where pharma spend their money, about half of it's yeah. utilizing these No surprise. No surprise. Yeah. And then let's go back to the old axiom that we all heard growing up and starting in business, which is 50% of your marketing is effective, 50% isn't. Yep. If you could only figure out where the 50% is. Yeah. Right? So that's what we do. 
So we do a few things. The first is we use AI to identify which 50% is the impactful 50% and let's stop doing the other half. Okay? Yeah. And, and, and part of the value of that is if you drive all of these expenses out of life science companies, I mean, one could say you're just going to make more money for the shareholders of these companies. And those shareholders, by the way, are pension funds. It's, you know, Joe and Sally Smith who ran a, a, a corner store market for most of their life. They'll have their retirement in these pharma companies. So it is important that they make a reasonable profit and stay around both for the money they make for retirees in the world, but also so that they can reinvest that money into R&D and create more therapies for more sick people. So if we can reduce the expenses by 50% on the commercial side, that's a ton of money that gets returned to either lower drug prices or invest more in therapies. So it's a really good thing. Clearly. I mean, I think the the devil's always in the details and, and we can get a little bit into how marketing ROI is measured today in the pharma space and then where data and AI come together to sort of help to refine that vision of, hey, which of these things are actually helping to drive results? Obviously, easier said than done, right? Yep. Clearly. And, and there's ways to measure this and get an understanding. So let, let's maybe start with what are what are we doing inside of America, Bayer, Sanofi today to get a sense of how well is this marketing supporting sales? And then Tell us a bit about the AI version of that and where it fits in. But I think getting the, the baseline is going to be really helpful. Okay. So again, the baseline is you'll typically have a brand team that comes up with a go-to-market strategy of which segments and what messaging by segment and which channels they're going to use to communicate that messaging to those segments of doctors. Okay. And part of that plan will be, and here's how we want to use sales reps to go do it. They'll sit down with commercial ops. That part clicks. Yeah. I think the question is, they got to darn well measure the ROI here. So, so yes, like they all get together. They come up with a plan. All right. The, the sort of week to week, day to day, what are the kinds of metrics that they look at to say, hey, here's what's working and here's not. And, and sort of what is their current feedback loop on currently trying to decide the 50% that's a winner or a loser? So marketing will have their own analytics to look at any specific campaign to see how a campaign did and whether it met the ROI criteria. Okay. And have that on a campaign specific basis. What they don't tend to get is on a micro decision basis. And when I say micro decision, I mean there's a given medical professional that they're going to interact with and they want to decide whether they're going to communicate this message or this message, and whether they want to communicate it through this channel or this channel, and whether they want to use that channel, the optimal channel, at this time or that time or in what sequence. And so what marketing will do is look at an entire campaign and say, was this campaign valuable? They may identify different pieces of that campaign, but what they're not doing, and they'll do it in retrospect. What they're not doing is using AI to determine today on a real-time basis, should I use this channel? Should I use that channel? Should I use this message or that message? And should I communicate this message first or that message first? All of those micro-optimizations 
don't really happen. And so what we're putting into place with our solution is a platform that will allow customers to plug models in, to create journeys, and basically identify, here's where I want ROI to be optimized. And then our engine goes through, looks at every permutation of action. We'll look at the actions that models produce. We'll look at the actions that journeys or micro journeys suggest. And we will score every possible combination of actions through all channels to all segments by ROI. And then we will orchestrate the first of those. And of course, after you've orchestrated the first action, the whole set of conditions changes and you have to re-optimize to get to the second action. Is this done just for a user's experience? This is an interesting sort of the thing that lights up in my head here, David, and I would love to know if I need to correct this analogy in my mind, is yeah. you, you read about you know in, in the telecommunications world, sort of generative algorithms to route traffic across a telecommunications infrastructure, you know, like, okay, here's, here's all the possible sets of needs that people could have. And sort of based on that, here's the best, you know, first stop, second stop, here's how this stuff should rattle through the net, so to speak, in, in order to sort of optimally be dispersed and sort of reach its end goal sort of fastest. It, it almost feels like we have a million countless nodes for how a marketing campaign might hit and what the campaign elements might be, et cetera, et cetera. And only by maybe thinking through the combinations of what would rattle out with the highest likelihood of success, could we optimize for that as well. Let me know if mentally in terms of a picture, I've got the right thing, or if you want to adjust that. Oh, you've got the right picture. Okay, right? cool, cool. So on the front end of what we do, we're going to take in as much data as we can get hold of. We're going to suck in models to the extent that customers have models, or they may have built models with their own data science teams. They may have bought models from other consulting firms. Those models can get plugged into the platform. A sense of a customer journey can get designed into the platform. And then our AI and our engine goes to work and does score every single permutation. And then, of course, we've got the connections into the CRM, into all the digital channels where on that real-time basis, we've just optimized what that next action is. We can now orchestrate the execution of that action through suggestions and insights to field sales, through suggestions and insights to medical sales liaisons, to triggers into digital systems. We orchestrate that set of omni-channel kind of touch points across all those channels, across time, and across segments. And then we can go back and look and say, okay, we had simulated that these would be the results. We went ahead and launched that combination of strategies. We're seeing the results. They differ from the simulation as they will. And we use that gap to then identify okay, what needs to change in the strategy? What would be a better performance next time? And it's wash, rinse, repeat. Got it. And and is there's a process, I imagine, on some level where after the campaign is fully rattled out, is there a team that gets together and says, hey, here's what we'd sort of predicted, projected based on you know sort of leveraging AI here. Here's what we actually saw out in the world. Is there a kind of a, a powwow after the fact to sort of get a sense of, how this stuff is shaking out when it hits the ground running. Well, you don't even really need a powwow because it's surfaced in the application itself. 
So everybody can see in real time, this is how it's doing. This is the results coming in. These were the results against the simulation. And you're not going to be waiting to get everyone together in six weeks. You're going to be on a, on a daily basis looking, going, hmm, this isn't looking like I expected it to look. Why don't I relax this constraint or add another messaging in here and see if that improves things by next week? This is, I imagine, so that the, the listeners probably can already imagine, David, how challenging this is to pull off because I'm just sitting here thinking, what are the data points that I'm using as a drug development company to look at sales? And I, I imagine when a doctor orders a certain amount or a pharmacy somewhere, or whoever else orders a certain amount of, you know, drug X, you know, I can see that stuff hit the register somewhere. The number of subscriptions that are written for something, the other proxies for positive response, right? If we're looking to to possibly influence media in some way, maybe there's some some proxy for sort of how well we're getting coverage or something like that. What data has to get filtered in? Because it does feel like a pretty big orchestration job to have a dashboard of success with that kind of stretched out of a number of ways to measure success. What, what has to get pulled in for us to be able to say in real time, nonetheless, you know, this is going well, this is not going well. Yeah. So that's a fascinating question. And the answer is a complicated one. I imagine. Yeah. In the U.S., all prescription data as written by any doctor is collected and is available for purchase by all the pharma companies. Mm. So yet on a regular basis, here's how many scripts were written for your drug. Here's how many scripts were written for your competitive drugs and down to the by the doctor level. Wow, so this is I, available for purchase? Oh, yeah. Amazing. Okay. So this has got to be the most important data source. This is amazing. Yeah. So, so Pharma X can go and buy and know exactly if Dr. Smith is writing their drug or a competitive drug at what level. And for patients, even you can get, and it's anonymized. You don't know course, who the patient yep. is. But you may be able to say, you know what? Dr. Smith tends to write our drug when the patient is a woman and the competitive drug when the patient's a man. This is incredible amounts of insight. Because okay. now, now, now that, wow. Now that is in the US. Yeah, in the US. Yeah, certainly, certainly we have a different ecosystem. Internationally, that data is only available at what's called the brick level, which means kind of a zip code, if you will. And so the assumption is in most international environments, when you get that prescription from that doctor, you go to a pharmacy on that block to fill it. So you, you go to a doctor's office on 15th Street in Park, you're going to fill your script when you walk out of that doctor's office with a script in your hand at the Walgreens doorway. And so you can attribute all the scripts from that Walgreens to the doctors in that general area, but you still need then to attribute, okay, I have a million scripts in this zip code and there's 26 doctors. Yeah. How do I allocate those scripts across the doctors? And when I see a market share in those scripts, do I know it's this doctor, it's that doctor, it's all the doctors? So there's still a decoding that needs to happen internationally. Got it. Okay. And, and there's a lot of AI that's been built around 
how do you know which doctor wrote which scripts? You look at the number of patients by doctor, you look at their social activity, you can look at their email opens, and you look at all of these other activities and you start to use some of that data to allocate those scripts. Yeah, this is, I, I'm just, now, I mean, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You got more, you got more, let's do it. But even back in the US, that script data, you know, it could be six months before you could convince a doctor to start writing your brand versus a competitor brand. But then there has to be a patient that comes in that needs that brand. That's right. That patient has to go fill it. And one patient isn't going to move the dial. So you may not see the data in sales data of a change for many, many months. But what you can see are different things like social mentions, responses to emails, open rates, visits to the website. When the sales rep goes in and talks to the doctor, they'll have notes coming out of that around how well that discussion went. And while some of that data that a rep puts into the CRM is not that accurate, the more that that rep believes the data they put in is going to affect the recommendations and the intelligence they get out, the more they start caring about the accuracy. Huh. I mean, I'm sure there are folks, David, in every industry outside of pharma who would love to pay any price to have that kind of data that apparently is available in the pharma space. I mean, that that's fantastic. So clearly, yep. the social stuff, we have these proxies. But when it comes to the sales, we have the hardest clearest, most granular, except for the customer themselves, information that we could ask for. And so this is what we're able to actually use to say, are we hitting our targets? Yeah. Okay. Great, great, great. So this is, this is helpful. So being able to optimize that stuff with artificial intelligence, obviously some of the social listening stuff, this, this is going to involve AI as well, but, but being able to kind of do this generative model of a campaign based on some proxy of success, we're hardly using a proxy. We've got basically ground truth well, of sales. Well, we do, but again, it's very time delayed. So yes, you're gonna yes, use, yes, yes. You're going to use the proxies and Early then on. use hard data to refine the proxies over time. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, the time delay is serious. But nonetheless, I mean, I can just imagine how powerful it is to go to Dr. Stevens and say, hey, you know, Dr. Stevens, I mean, I don't... I imagine you can just say this to the guy because he knows the data is public. You're writing our competitor's drug whenever you see a female and you're writing our drug only when you're seeing men, you know, that are like this age or so. I don't know. But it feels like that, that the fact that a salesperson and a marketer, all these people have that info, that's pretty incredible. And you could see how that would really be able to help train an algorithm. And Dan, Dan, it gets even more interesting because there is a lot more data out there that you can collect. For instance, diagnostic test data. So you can go and look at every test that Quest Labs or all the other diagnostic testing firms do. There is a writer of that test, right? There's a doctor that wrote a prescription for that test. And now I can look and say, hmm, I know that Dr. Stevens has five patients with these disease states. And I know 
from the data. I don't know who the patient is. Again, it's all HIPAA protected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know Dr. Stevens has those five patients, and I know that they're not doing very well on that medication because I can see the diagnostic tests that say the disease isn't responding. I can now go into Dr. Stevens and say, hey, I know you're using my competitor's drug. Did you know it's not very effective in people that are of this age and look like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay, got it. So and all of this can help to inform those different parties you talked about. We've got our brand strategy people. We've got our boots on the ground salespeople. We've got other team members. All of them might be able to come up with ideas or take more smart actions by having that information Well, actually, you want to do something even more comprehensive with that information, which is you want to have a strategy. And that strategy might say, here's a use case within that strategy. Whenever there's a doctor that has more than one patient on my competitor's drug and that patient isn't responding well, we want our pharma rep to show up within 24 hours and talk to them about efficacy in people that don't respond to our competitor's drug. Yeah. Okay. That becomes a strategy. And you might want to say, and if the rep can't get in to see that doctor within 24 hours, we want this email to go out and we want the call center to make a call. And now you're starting to use digital and field in a common purpose. Okay. It starts to feel like one team with one objective, which is to get to that medical professional and help them make a better decision around their patients that aren't responding to the medication they're on. And you can do that with a rep if the rep can get in. You can do it with a call if the rep can't get in or an email. You may want to change some of the ads that that doctor sees in EHRs for those specific patients. And this is, I, I take it, this this set of kind of rules, these, these in, in this case, kind of an if-then type of a scenario. If, yeah, if XYZ, yeah. then QRS. I mean, some of that does, some of that does not have to involve AI per se. Obviously, AI is involved here, though. It sounds as though this is quite different from the way pharma is executing marketing today. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not that granular in terms of what a doctor is doing what they're going to need, and how the pharma company can add value to that doctor. Yep, makes sense. So, all right, so we've got this vision of what is commercial, what are the activities, where does AI fit in? And really, we've gotten to do a bit of a deep dive on the kind of data that helps to ground our decision-making and also helps to, to feed and train these algorithms. There are many folks in pharma that are currently leveling up and getting some value out of their data on the R&D side. Many more, I assume, are going to be making the same exact transition and and are currently on the commercial side. You've seen some folks adopt AI and it's, it's gone pretty smoothly, all things considered, for a legacy enterprise. You've seen other times where maybe it's been a pretty misguided effort to get AI off the ground, you know, in an organization that doesn't have a lot of experience with it. What do you have in terms of parting advice for leaders who are considering applying AI on the commercial side of their business? What do they need to know in order to be successful at a high level? I would offer the following, which is something that bit by bit, the industry is starting to understand. But, you know, the industry in general is at the very beginning of this journey towards what's often framed as omni-channel, meaning rather than that, you know, digital and the marketing team operate on one side and commercial operations and the field operates on another side and they come together once or twice a year. We're talking about a platform that allows data science, 
to influence data science rules, data to influence the collaboration between those two sides on a real-time basis, okay? And one of the learnings that our customers are going through is the AI, the models, and the data is only a piece of the equation, okay? That's what everybody focuses on, is how do we get the data right? What models do we need? How do we build that intelligence? There's a whole other piece to this, which is you can have a lot of models and a lot of rules and a lot of data, and it can generate, you know, 55 things for a sales rep to do in the next hour. That sales rep can't do 55 things in the next hour. Not important things. Maybe they can do one. Maybe one will take two hours. And so there needs to be something that rationalizes, synthesizes, and optimizes all of the different AI and all the different rules and all the different data to say, here is that optimal next action amongst all the signals that have come in. And then here's how to orchestrate that across all of these different channels and default. And then, you know, to if a channel can't act, default to the next most valuable channel. And so there's an infrastructure piece to this, not just a model and data piece to it. That infrastructure is going to connect the output of those models through the data to actual actions and then learn from those actions and take better actions next time. That infrastructure is really difficult and complicated and most companies don't even think about that until they've already got uh, 200 data scientists and they're building a bunch of models and now they're trying to figure out what to do with all the output. Yeah, so it sounds like if I'm gonna try to put this in a nutshell, I want you to clarify this for me here, David, but clearly the data and the algorithms, I mean, from doing far too many conversations with enterprise and vendor folks over, over the years here, in our opinion, important, but pretty nominal compared to the change management side of things. So the change management side of things would be, now we have this data infrastructure we have to upkeep. Change management is, here's how we roll this into our strategy. Change management is, what are the interfaces we're using and the ways that our workflows change before and after? That stuff is hard. And so what you're getting at is, hey, it's great if you can understand marketing data and sales data and find algorithms that can help to predict things or inform things. Do we have a way that this is purpose-built for the end user? Do we have a way for this to tangibly support decisions in a way that a field salesperson would actually look at, in a way that a marketer would actually look at? Are we able to begin with the end in mind? Like you said, sometimes that conversation doesn't happen until we've got $4 million a year in headcount for data scientists, and now we've got to figure out, is anybody ever going to use this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a, you know, <laughs> you and I were laughing before this call about the use of the term last mile. Yes. But, you know, in some respects, a lot of companies have invested in a lot of intelligence. What they've invested less in is how to turn that intelligence into changed action. Yeah. Yeah. That is the last mile of how do you take all this intelligence? And sometimes the intelligence contradicts each other. Sometimes you have two models that come up with opposite directions. How do you decide? Yeah. Right. So you need to have something that rationalizes, synthesizes, and then 
orchestrates the actions. Because yeah. only when there's a tight loop can you do a lot of the, you know, launch, act, learn, adjust, act, learn, adjust, that get you to that optimal point where you're no longer doing the 50% of the activities that wastes money. Yeah, and that's that's the the goal in a lot of ways. I think an important takeaway here, obviously, as a vendor, you guys have your own interface. This is sort of like something that would be natural that you would say. But regardless, I think the lesson is really clear for the folks tuned in. If you want to succeed with this, what is the end in mind? What are people looking at that's going to support a yes. darn decision instead of overwhelm them? And I think that's a lesson that absolutely should be taken in by folks on every part of pharma. Commercial, certainly no exception. David, I know that's all we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you being able to share some of your insights and join us on the show. Thank you so much, Dan. It was a real pleasure to be here. So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. A big thank you to David for joining us and thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode. I mentioned in our intro, this episode was brought to you by Octana. If you have an interest in reaching Emerges global executive audience, you can learn more at emerj.com slash ad1. That's emerj.com slash ad, like advertise. And then the number one, emerj.com slash ad1. Whether it's sponsored podcasts, co-branded research, webinars, or more, Emerge reaches a global executive audience with a focus on AI ROI in the enterprise. And again, you can learn more at emerge.com slash I certainly had fun diving into a new use case here today. I hope that all of you tuned in did as well. I appreciate you being here as listeners, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.